Hi, I'm Ali Hassan, host of CBC's Laugh Out Loud. Do you like to laugh? Because we're serving up big laughs each week. We feature comedians from across Canada. You might already be fans of some of them, and others might be new discoveries. We record emerging comedians and established pros in front of live audiences all across the country, and we promise that you'll be literally laughing out loud. You can find Laugh Out Loud on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So the thing with the Smiths is they're a band known for creating a home for the rejects and the lonely. So how did they end up being played at Donald Trump's rallies? Today on the podcast, what happens when a band's music gets adopted by Trump and the MAGA movement? I'm Elamine Abdul-Mahmoud. This show is called Commotion. All right. You have heard the story before. Politicians hold a rally and then they play a song. Then the band and the fans are completely outraged. It seems like there's one of these stories every single election cycle. But this time, it feels different. Take a listen. So for once in my life. That is Please, 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 Let Me Get What I Want by The Smiths. Uh, That song is from 1984. But what you just heard is that song being played at a rally for Donald Trump. And you heard some fans singing in the background. There were some people singing in the background. But also, a lot of fans of The Smiths are really fired up. Mostly because of what The Smiths' music meant to fans in the 80s. And what these songs said about their identity. And how strange it is to hear these songs played at a Trump rally. But is it... That surprising. The band's lead singer, Morrissey, has been pretty outspoken after the band broke up, and he's taken some, let's say, controversial views on things. Here to explain how we got here is journalist and author and, I assume, long-suffering Smiths fan, Luke O'Neill. Luke, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm well, man. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Listen, before we get into what happened at this whole Trump rally thing, maybe let's just talk about what the Smiths' music represented to fans like like you. Like, if you met... Another person who also listens to the Smiths. You go like, oh, we have something in common. What what does that mean? Well, sure. I mean, they were one of the most influential and and beloved bands of their time, and and they continue to be. So it's not like they're, you know, this super niche thing. But the stereotype of the Smiths fan was always a sort of melancholy loner or sad, (laughs) artsy type, you know, always pining for unrequited love. Uh, you know, something that was that was captured very well in the lyrics. And, right. And, you know, it, it's not like it's some sort of secret club. Again, they're a very famous band. But uh, but, you know, you, you it is a nice base for for friendship. If, if you, you know, met someone with with a, a similar uh, affinity for the for the band. The saddest lyrics you ever heard and people connecting over those lyrics. I, listen, you go. That's a beautiful basis for connection. What do you make of the fact that the Smiths are now the central part of the soundtrack at Trump rallies? Well, it's it's funny uh, you said up top. Is this really is it really this strange? And that you know that happens to be the name of a Smith song. Is it really <laughs> so strange? Um, but this is uh, this is a bit more complicated than some of the similar stories that you hear like this every election cycle. Whether it's 
Rage Against the Machine or Bruce Springsteen or someone like that, who's yeah. you know, whose politics clearly differ from whatever the Republican might be. Yeah. Uh, in this case, you know, Morrissey, which and this surprises me that he's not a fan of Trump. Uh, he, he said some. Morrissey, the lead singer of the Smiths, but yeah. Yeah, more yeah. the singer uh, has said some things, uh, you know, anti-Trump things over the years. Yeah. But, you know, like you alluded to, uh, he's also spent the last, you know, 10, 20 years sharing xenophobic, anti-immigrant, and sometimes downright racist uh, comments. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that that sort of align with a lot of the type of things that Trump's Trump and his his fans uh, believe in. I, yeah. Um, I got to so, tell you. And, oh, go, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say he's also uh, Morrissey, the singer, is is a blowhard who loves the sound of his own voice and will do anything to get attention. And does that sound like someone else we know? And, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have to say, like every time that Morrissey, just the name, is trending on Twitter, you see that fans of the Smiths just like in complete despair, like, oh no, it's happening again. The person who gave voice to so much of our loneliness and our heartbreak. Uh, the, he's he's once again said a thing that is gonna frustrate me and frustrate everyone I know. Like it seems to be like almost a a recurring part of the the news cycle every year. Like you get into summer and you go, what's Morrissey gonna say this summer that's gonna make everybody really upset? You know, exactly. And uh, I mean, he's it's uh it's a lot of it. You know, he's a lot of he's a very big on self pity and and victim complex and. And, uh, I, you know, I think that, you know, again, that it's why it sort of aligns with Trump. But, yeah. uh, you know, being being frustrated with Morrissey has been part of uh, the experience, you know, <laughs> all along. And some would say, you know, some of this stuff is, is, has been in the music all along. You know, he's, he's, yeah. he's got songs like National Front Disco and Bengali and platforms that, that were kind of controversial, but... There was always this level of irony in the lyrics, and, sure. and his entire persona is sort of this facade. So it sort of gave us a plausible deniability. You know, <laughs> um, it's like he's he's playing a character of a National Front, you know, skinhead or something like that. But then over the past few years, it's been like, oh, maybe, maybe that wasn't irony all along. I mean, the, that's the thing I got to ask you is that. The I think like the the Smiths sort of engender a fandom that is really loyal and really beautiful in many ways because Morrissey for years was sort of seen as like rock's preeminent outsider poet right he's like he's the guy who captures all the sad feelings that are in your soul but he's changed a lot he's disappointed fans you've mentioned um, some of the xenophobic uh, posts that he's sort of put out or statements that he's put out over the years how do you go about trying to reconcile you know being a fan of his music with the person that he appears to have become. Well, we've all been having this conversation about how to separate the art from the artist or whether yeah. or not one has to for years now, particularly, you know, in the past, you know, five, eight years, whatever it's been. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule. If you talk to 10 people, they're all going to be fans of someone who's somewhat problematic or maybe, you know, downright bad. Yeah. And we all we all have our own line that we draw, you know. Uh, yeah whether it's, you know, Michael Jackson or, you know, whoever. Or you know, Kanye you know, West, you know. Like yeah, or Kanye, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I personally listen to the Smiths and Morrissey uh, solo music a lot less than I used to. Yeah. And I don't go I don't go to his shows anymore. Um, you know, I guess that's one way people kind of uh, uh, justify things like that. Like, well, I'm not giving them any money. Um, 
but you know i guess the real thing that i do when i listen is i tell myself i'm listening to the lyrics of a of a younger man who hadn't said a lot of this stuff at the time that mm. very beautiful music was written you know i love that i love that as a way of working your way through it i think you kind of have to say that to yourself because listen pal you got a bunch of smith statues like there's no way <laughs> there's, no, there's no way through this except for to figure out some kind of way to reconcile it right I, yeah and i think that's important work i think actually we don't do enough of that reconciliation work we got to say you mentioned that you know both morrissey and his writing partner in the smiths johnny marr have made anti-trump comments in the past marr was quick to condemn that trump used uh, his music for the rallies but morrissey hasn't said anything you've interviewed both of these guys does that surprise you at all it doesn't surprise me uh at all that johnny came out right right away and said something he's by all accounts is a beautiful and lovely man who everyone loves yeah i am surprised in fact that maury morsey hasn't said anything yet you know he, he loves to issue these little edicts through his <laughs> his website or his fan website from time to time yeah um he says warily was, yes continue right right <laughs> Yeah. I will say uh, about the tattoo, I do have a big uh, picture of his uh, face on my shoulder, but conveniently, people always ask me if it's Elvis, so I'll just <laughs> let them go with that. <laughs> Although, not that Elvis doesn't come with his own yeah, package, too, so we say. Yeah, can't, really, can't really win here. So slightly longer baggage, you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> right. age in a different way. Maybe, maybe right. that's the out that you can use. Um, I, I read an article in The Guardian where the writer joked, if ChatGPT were to summarize every Smith song, it would narrow it down to the sentence, nobody's being treated as badly as me. That does sound like something that Donald Trump would say. Is it a surprise to you that the MAGA people, the MAGA faithful, are connecting with the Smith music and putting it in the rotation? No, I guess not. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of that self-pity in the in the feeling that you're the the singular, you know, unique put upon uh, main character of the universe that that seems to line up pretty well with both Trump and uh, MAGA type people, you know. Um, but then again, there's also this thing like, you know, people like maybe there are, are some actual Morsi and, and fans of like post-punk type music like punks get old. I can tell you that for uh, firsthand. <laughs> and a lot of people tend to get, uh, uh, you know, their, their, their politics, not always, but oftentimes they get a little more conservative when they get old. Yeah. So maybe, maybe people are just aging into a, a different political demographic here. I have to say that uh, it, the reason it wasn't a big surprise to me when I first heard the Smiths um, at a Trump rally is that I think like a large part of the Trump appeal has been uh, the argument, making the argument anyway, that uh, you, the people who attend these rallies, have been alienated from mainstream politics. And so to play music that fits in line in general with alienation, that doesn't seem like a surprise to me. Is that part of the overlap here, do you think? Is no, that how they're thinking that. about it? Yeah. I, I, I think it could be that. But I mean, I don't know if this is really going to be, I don't know if we're going to see, you know, uh, a, a huge uptick in sales of the queen is dead over this you know it's probably <laughs> just like a little curiosity here and yeah. i mean that'd be that'd be interesting to see um you know uh, the change in demographics at, at his concerts if, if he really does blow up amongst these people you know it's gonna be a lot a lot fewer uh aging goths and uh you know <laughs> I uh, I also have a hard time imagining that whoever's making this playlist is trying to specifically curate for like an emotional landscape. You know what I mean? I think they just I think they just like the Smiths. I think that's probably what uh, this has come down to. Luke O'Neill, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I look forward to talking to you the next time Morrissey says 
anything, you know? Thank you. So, so you'll have me back on tomorrow. That's <laughs> <laughs> your will. Luke uh, O'Neill is a veteran music and political journalist. He was in Boston. You can read his writing by subscribing to his newsletter uh, called Welcome to Hell World. His most recent book is called A Creature Wanting Form. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. This show is Commotion. Listen, Pablo Escobar once said that Griselda Blanco was the only person who ever scared him. And if you've seen any of the new Netflix series Griselda, you would understand why. You look like a... Like a housewife, covering blood. I moved cocaine for 10 years, Medellin to New York. And you have no idea what I have gone through since. I'm going to be here every night until you tell me yes. Man, just absolute shudders. That is Griselda. Griselda tells the truish story of the only woman to run a Colombian drug cartel and how she conquered a brand new market for cocaine while also trying to raise her three boys. This series stars Sofia Vergara, who will be forever remembered, I think, as Gloria on Modern Family. Vergara also executive produced the series. Manuel Betancourt has been a fan of hers since he was a kid growing up in Colombia. He's a culture writer who now lives in L.A. Manuel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm Jason. I'm happy that you're here. As I mentioned, this show opens with this quote from Pablo Escobar: "The only woman I was ever afraid of was a the only man I was ever afraid of was a woman named Griselda Blanco, coming from one of the most notorious narcos." That is quite the statement. Who <laughs> who was Griselda, and what made her so remarkable? Yeah, well, her her nickname was Cocaine Godmother. <laughs> um, and the other one was Black Widow. Um, and they go hand in hand because she was this sort of uh, revered but equally as feared um, drug trafficker that really opened the sort of the drug trade from Medellin and into Miami, into New York, later into California. So she was really moving a lot of um, drug in the 1970s through the 80s. Uh, but she was ruthless in that. And her nickname Black Widow came because she mostly had her ex-husbands killed and executed whenever anything came up. And, you know, some of them were business partners. And as soon as they parted ways and they were um, sort of not seeing eye to eye, um, she killed them or had them killed, which yeah. is, you know, a great way to run business, maybe not a great way to run a family. <laughs> I, uh, I have to say, the first time that I watched the trailer for Griselda, I was like, are they trying to girl boss the drug trade? Is that what I'm watching at the moment? Is that your, was that your reaction to you when you first saw the trailer? I mean, there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of like, we've seen all the boys and now women get a chance. But, you know, this is not a, a story that's being made up. This was sort of like 
uh, as you said, is sort of true-ish. Yeah. <laughs> so the way that Netflix is doing it. And, you know, in Colombia, they've already done various novellas on her. She's yeah. been in a lot of series. Like this is a this is a figure that is a lot more known in Colombia that I think that most of the Netflix subscribers or even American or Canadian um audiences. So it does feel a little bit like uh girl boss uh gaslight and then sort of <laughs> <laughs> I I can't. I have I actually want to come back to that, but first let's talk about the fact that uh this is this fits well within the narcos universe and the narco series it's made by the same people who put out the narco series which is also on netflix you're not a fan of the narcos genre what's going on with that manuel they i mean i i keep needing to say that it's like a kind of a personal thing okay like i'm a little bit allergic to it and i think part of it is that i grew up in a time when this kind of violence and the drug war and the drug trade was so pervasive it was so part of my childhood of like feeling mm. uh somewhat unsafe i mean i lived a rather privileged life when i was in, in colombia and Bogota. that's where i grew up but you know uh my aunt got you know pablo escobar's mother lived across the street and that building got bombed and sort of we knew people who got suffered by from violence like it was sort of sometimes it feels a little too close to home especially when it's packaged in this kind of like thrilling really fun criminal series mm -hmm. um i think for me also like the narco and this kind of criminal anti-hero which is all over you know peak tv uh is sort of the limit case of what a craven capitalist world can create which is like yeah. we are individuals and i'm gonna only care about myself and my family and i don't care what i need to do and who i need to stumble over and that to me is sort of on a personal level like always just makes me very allergic to being able to sort of then just go along for the ride uh, yeah. with these stories even when they're well made even when they're greatly produced even when they're like um beautifully performed as they are here I mean, I was going to say, I appreciate your principled um, opposition to the genre, but then we got to talk about the fact that you didn't mind this one. <laughs> what, what do you think sets this one apart? I mean, I think, you know, it, it's like a little bit of the girl boss thing at all, because I do think the way the show really textures how Griselda in this depiction, and especially when she's um, portrayed by Sofia Vergara yeah. uses her femininity to get in and out of spaces and how she's constantly needing, needing to negotiate or are they underestimating me because I'm a woman? Can mm -hmm. I get away with something because I'm a woman? What spaces can I go in and out of? And at what time I'm a grizzled mama bear and at others I'm this like wily uh, sort of woman who can seduce her way sure. through something. And I think we saw a little bit of that clip when she's like, uh, uh, that you play that, she's you know, she, yeah. she's menacing. Um, but of course it's Sofia Vergara. So it's, there's always this enthralling and this alluring. And so yes. you can see, so that, that to me seemed something different that we haven't seen in the genre so far. Uh, Sofia Vergara's talked about how she wanted this character to be a little like Tony Soprano. Like she wants people, you know, like people hate um, a, a lot of bad guys in shows. They don't hate Tony Soprano. They actually kind of feel bad for him, even though he's very explicitly the bad guy. Does she deliver the same kind of performance here, do you think? Oh, I think so. And I think, you know, it surprised me. And I, you know, I've known and I followed her work. You know, I was trying to do the, I don't do the math, but like she did her first um, commercial in 1989. So I was already, but by the time I'm I was alive, she was already, I do the math. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, so she's been, she's been famous basically my entire life. And yeah. I, you know, I, for the longest time, that initial commercial was a Pepsi commercial where she was on a beach and like slowly getting naked and it was very sexy. So she has always been this sort of like sexy bombshell mm -hmm. uh, my entire life. So I was even surprised that she was able to pull this off. 
Um, and, you know, she's talked about how she, you know, uh, hired an acting coach and she really was trying to do the work because for her, it's always been instinctual. Like for her, it's always been, you know, uh, Modern Family, I think, came really easily to her. So yeah. I loved seeing that she was texturing this performance and she was being very nuanced and that can, she can do the menacing and it doesn't feel like a put on act and it doesn't feel like a vanity project. It feels like, oh, hopefully this is the thing that then kickstarts and opens doors for her to do so much more interesting work ahead. We should say the third episode actually opens with this. <laughs> I mean, Manuel, they're not trying to be subtle here. This is an obvious nod to Gloria, the, the character that Sofia Vergara plays in Modern Family. I'm curious, when you're watching this, do you ever for a moment go, I'm no longer watching Gloria. I'm actually watching someone play Griselda. Like, do, do, does, does Gloria ever leave your mind watching the show? Well, I mean, I laughed out loud when this came on. Like, in, in, and it is the third episode. And you're just like, oh my god, they actually they actually did it. But but I yeah. think it's actually quite smart rather than run away from it and rather than pretend that glory didn't happen, which I think, as you point out, like Vergara really can't do. Like Modern Family was so huge; she was Emmy nominated. Yes. Like the show um, has such a cultural footprint. Um, but I think one of the things to understand is that I think there's a way of seeing Gr Gloria and Griselda at this sort of like two sides of the same coin, like, mm. whereas Gloria, I mean, they're both mothers, they're both mothers who came to the US who, I mean, obviously, there's a different tenor and a sensibility, I would say so, kind yes. of, and a kind of genre, right? Like, but in the yeah. one hand, you're getting this like Colombian mother who would do anything for, for her kid in the side of like sunny sitcom on ABC. And on the other, she's in this like dark grizzled thriller that's for Netflix narcos. Yeah, audience. Um, but there is that sense of that, that charm that really she exudes, and it is a very much a Colombian trope. And you know, this like really sexy, outgoing woman who will do sort of anything that is very familiar to me. That is very familiar sure. to. Um, I mean, so I, I love thinking of them as as sort of this like light and dark. So it, it mm -hmm. made sense for me that they wouldn't run away from it, but they would want to keep. Gloria a little bit in the back of your mind just to understand why Griselda was maybe as as charming and cunning and alluring as she ends up being throughout the show. There's a, I mean, the, the face is strikingly different because like she's using prosthetics here. The fake teeth are quite distracting, honestly. I'm like, <laughs> I know what this person looks like. I've seen a lot of Modern Family. But the thing that like I was thinking most struck by in, in her performance is the physicality. Like I, like you actually see Sofia Vergara try to walk in a different way than Gloria does. And you go like, I'm almost convinced that you're a different person um, than the person that I've known so well for so long in that show. I, I, I have to say when Sofia Vergara played Gloria in Modern Family, some people didn't like the way that she leaned into stereotypes about uh, Colombian women, which can, of course, be really harmful. How do you square that with what she's doing now playing this Colombian cartel girl boss? Yeah, I mean, when Modern Family came out, I had a very vexed sort of relationship uh, to it. Mo sure. And mostly because you were pointing out, right, that there was these all these stereotypes they were sort of really leaning into. Um, and I think one of the things that I have come to sort of um, the, the way that I think about it now is that it's very hard to place the burden of representation of Colombian women on the shoulders of Gloria or on the shoulders of Sofia Vergara or now yeah. on the shoulders of Priscilla Blanco. I, I think it just happens to be that because she's the one, she now has to like 
stand in. And I think that was hard to do it all. And I think that's hard to ask of a character in a sitcom when all of these various different characters were also leaning into stereotypes. Like Claire Dunphy was like leaning into this like white woman, sort of girl boss in a way. And like the the, the, the mom mom sitcom. And, uh, you know, we had Cam leaning into all these like um, gay, stare, gay, feminine stereotypes. And so if 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 she had been in a show where she was the only one doing that caricature and sort of leaning into it and really playing around with it, sure. I, I I think I would have been more, um, I ended up being a little bit more lenient, understanding that sort of within the modern family, like she was just another trope. She just happened to be a Colombian one. Yeah. I think what she's doing here, um, you know, it is, again, a little problematic, but mostly because I just always wish we there were more stories to tell about Colombia yeah. than the narco story, than the drug trade story, than the guerrilla story, than the war-torn story. And in a way, I will say, Netflix does produce a lot of that content. Uh, it just yeah. ends up being buried. It's just not um, usually marketed to the North American market. Like they have a production company in Bogota and they're doing a lot of shows sure. that are in Spanish. And that, that so I, I understand that this one is crossing over and this one is sort of part of the conversation because you have Vergara behind it. So yeah. I wish she had gone for like a, a much uh, sunnier, uh, a different kind of portrayal, a different yeah. kind of portrayal, maybe. And maybe that's what she'll do next. I um, hope that, I hope that like, is what she, what she does next. I got to leave it there, Manuel, but I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here. I'm I gotta I have to go and finish the rest of the show, but thank you for so much for your time. <laughs> no problem. It. Thank you for having me. Of course. Emmanuel Bencord is a writer based in LA. You can stream Griselda right now on Netflix. And that is it for the podcast today. Remember, you can listen to any episode anytime you like, wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. I'll see you tomorrow. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.